with the right hand, puts her down. He's going to jump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. 10-1-9-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-
donated by the Probert family, signed by Joey Kosher and the man Bob Probert. If you're interested in bidding on this, you can do so on the Puck Support Network Facebook page. Uh, silent auction, bid increments of $5. Please only bid on the original post. Uh, I'll have more details later. Thank you to the Probert family. All the money goes to mental health and addiction uh, for hockey players, coaches, parents. We're building something special here through Puck Support. You can see my shirt, Puck Addiction. That's what I say to my addiction these days. I got the Puck Support snapback on. I'm all gray. Is it too much? I was looking in the mirror. I'm like, ah, it might be too much, but whatever. Who cares? I take my teeth out. I'll wear all gray. Let's go. I'm excited for this one. Um, obviously, uh, I've been a crazy busy guy over the past year. Just celebrated one year. I mentioned it on the last podcast. Um, thank you again to everyone for your support. You know who you are. Um, even in the smallest uh, ways through comments and messages. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Uh, it's what keeps me going. And I'm not doing this for myself. You know, I am a little bit for my family, but I carry on each and every single day to show everybody that it doesn't matter how far you fall. If you're willing to get honest and you're willing to make some changes and you put yourself out there and say, hey, you know what? I might have messed up own all your crap great things can happen great things can happen i got a message from brian smolinski today we're a former nhler works at the nhlpa we're gonna meet we have a meeting coming up with rob knesserick also at the nhl wish me luck that one i may have to wear my teeth for who knows who knows so maybe i need to get some speech therapy i don't know i don't know um you guys know though uh, hello to Jesse Paradise out there in Manitoba. Take it away, Regan Bartell. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leovold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. TeamIssued.ca. Promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. They used to call me Tommy Toedrag. That's why it's TOEDRAG15. Before we get into the uh, episode... I am going to mention, because I've had a few people say, yo, cut your mustache, shave your mustache, cut your hair. If you don't know why I have this mustache, I'll tell you again. When I woke up on December 1st, ready to shave my mustache after November was over, I saw a post that said, hey, just because it's December 1st does not mean that men's mental health issues go away. And I know they do a lot of other great things at November, but that's the post that I saw. And I said, well... I guess I'm committed to this for at least a year. So I'm growing my hair out. I'm going to do something special with that too. I'm trying to figure out exactly where it's going to go, but I'm going to grow my hair long. I don't care. Uh, I'm all about doing things for great causes. I'll sacrifice my looks uh, for the betterment of people. I'm over it. I'm 33. I'm not 17. Uh, I'm not that egotistical hockey player that I once was. Uh, And I feel good about it. I feel like I'm finally myself. So Thanks, guys, for joining me. If you haven't seen this show, um, I will see you in a few minutes. You know how this goes, though, if you're one of my regulars, and that I do appreciate. Hello to everybody quickly. Hello to everybody that is always watching. David Carlson, my dad, 
Susan Cook upstairs. Hi, guys. Um, thank you for always being with me. Uh, we're going to get to some questions and comments later. So uh, if you have any, think of them now because uh, we will open it up with my guests. We'll see you guys in a few minutes. helping his team to victory it's all he really wants it's just that the way that Barnaby goes about it doesn't play to rave reviews anywhere outside of Buffalo he can be the spark plug not the heavyweight but often the first guy in not the goal scorer but the playmaker with good hands according to some reviews he was the Sabres best player in last spring's long playoff run well I already have a smile on my face about this one and finally, I can smile and there actually be teeth in my mouth. For anyone that saw me play, dating back even to the earliest days, I was a pest. To be honest, I had no boundaries and sometimes I went over the line. I didn't know where the line was and I just didn't care. Often I would reflect back, be remorseful because oftentimes I felt horrible about the things that I said or even the things that I would do, such as butt-ending guys, slashing guys when the ref wasn't looking, you name it, nothing was off-limits. I'm serious, absolutely nothing was off-limits. It wasn't uncommon for an opposing player to ask me what was wrong with me, or to call me crazy. For example, I'd skate by the bench at the beginning of the game when I played with the Kelowna Rockets, and I'd say, if any of you guys go near Longer or Benny, I'll step on your throat if I get the chance. I don't care if I get a lifetime suspension. I don't even like hockey. They would usually come back with, man, calm down, what's wrong with you? It's only a game. And I'd stare back with my toothless smile and say, is it? Sometimes it was just in fun, but sometimes I meant it. I was just a different person on the ice. In a player's poll my final year, I topped the ranks at most annoying, most hated, but also most improved. Being the most annoying and most hated was something I took a lot of pride in. That was the theme my entire hockey career, like I said, right from minor hockey. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I received more than one gross misconduct. The absolute worst penalty in hockey, and I received three or four of them over my career. But you guys know me, I'm honest and I'll tell you the truth. What I soon found out if I was going to play that way, is I better be ready to shed my mitts at any time and learn how to protect myself but also my teammates. Lucky for me, I found out I was a little bit better than I ever thought I would be at fighting, but I still got punched in the face more times than I'd like to admit. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't change any of it. If you were on my team, you loved me. If you played against me, you hated me. If you were the opposing fans, you were chanting, leave old, leave old. Another thing that I took great pride in. The one player that I watched closely throughout my childhood was Matthew Barnaby. If we talk about agitators and pests, he's at the top of the list for me. I think even those that hated him still had to respect him because he always backed it up. He took on everybody. Born in Ottawa in 1973, Matthew Barnaby got his chance when he was drafted to the Quebec Major Junior Leagues in 1990, 198th overall. He quickly made a name for himself, recording 262 penalty minutes in his very first year. He followed that season up with 66 points and 476 penalty minutes. Yeah, 476 penalty minutes in just 63 games. Following that season, Barnaby was drafted in the fourth round, 83rd overall in the 1992 NHL entry draft by the Buffalo Sabres. The following season, he carried on with 96 points 
in 361 penalty minutes, earning himself a spot on this Canadian Hockey League All-Star team. He led the queue in penalties back-to-back seasons. In the next year, in the 92-93 season, he made his NHL debut, appearing in two games for the Buffalo Sabres, recording a goal and 10 penalty minutes. The following season, he split time between the American League's Rochester Americans and the big club, the Buffalo Sabres. It was the same the next season before 95-96 when he broke into the NHL full-time, recording 15 goals, 16 assists, and a career-high 335 penalty minutes, leading the way in the entire NHL. And that wasn't the only time. In 2000-2001, he recorded 265 penalty minutes and earned the same honors. Barnaby appeared in 834 regular season games, suiting up for the Buffalo Sabres, the Pittsburgh Penguins, in which he was part of the team when Mario Lemieux made his comeback. From Pittsburgh, he went to the Tampa Bay Lightning, and he was traded to the New York Rangers, where he found a ton of success, instantly becoming a fan favorite, which seemed to be the case everywhere he played. Wherever Matthew Barnaby was, his loyal fans, known as the Barnaby Brigade, were close behind. Barnaby also suited up for the Colorado Avalanche, along the likes of Joe Sackick and Peter Forsberg. After that, he moved on to the Chicago Blackhawks and finally the Dallas Stars, where a season-ending concussion forced him into retirement. After suiting up for 834 regular season games, Matthew Barnaby finished with 2,562 career penalty minutes in the NHL, 212 recorded NHL fights, which is good for 18th all-time on the PIMS list. He wasn't just a scrapper, though, either. He did record 300 points, and found quite a bit of success offensively playing down that right wing. 212 fights in the NHL, and those are just in the NHL. After further research and a little bit of math, I uncovered the real numbers. Though I don't know how many fights total between the American Hockey League and the Q, I do know the numbers. From my research, he appeared in 1,112 games between major, junior, and professional hockey, recording a massive 4,000 175 penalty minutes, which is an average of 3.75 penalty minutes a game. And if you dig a little deeper, that means he sat in the penalty box for 69 and a half games. I just thought it'd be fun to do some math. I'm not very good at it. Growing up, Matthew Barnaby was undoubtedly one of my faves, and I'm lucky I didn't get killed trying to play like him. Obviously, remember for on-ice behavior, many people don't know what Matthew Barnaby was really like off the ice. He's widely regarded as one of the nicest guys and somebody that always stood up to do charity work. He spent a lot of time raising money and awareness for Alzheimer's over the years, which I think is extremely admirable. This is the kind of guy that has stories for days, and I'm excited to bring him on. Though he might lose me at Montreal Canadiens fan. Since his retirement, Barnaby spent time as an analyst on different TV networks and been the host of several radio shows. And of course, his podcast, Unfiltered with Matthew Barnaby. draft report when the year I was drafted and uh, Larry Carrier said you know this guy's a better player when he gets beat up twice in a game all right without further ado let's bring him in one of my all-time faves the only guy who smiles wider while being punched in the face from Ottawa Ontario Matthew Barnaby what's going on buddy I, I'm good, Brady. First of all, I saw your post. I can't remember if it was this morning or the other day 
uh, just on, on being clean for a year and congratulations on that. It's uh, we, we all fall down. I've made many mistakes in my day and I feel like listening to your intro, um, we truly could be the same person. Um, <laughs> the way that you played, the mistakes so uh, we, we might have made, but uh, honesty and the way that we played uh, the game. Uh, I, I, I feel like I'm talking to a much younger uh, version <laughs> of myself as I'm almost 50 now. So uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hey, man, I've, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I know we connected in the summer. And we haven't spoken for a while. And you know what? I was coming back. I think it was actually on the day that I celebrated the one year. And I'm driving back to Muskoka from Oakville. And all of a sudden, I get a message from you out of nowhere because we hadn't spoken since September. And you're like, hey, I got some time this week. And I, I looked. At, I'm like, what? I'm like, this is awesome. I was so excited. So thank you, man. It's, it's, been, it's been a crazy year, I think, for everyone. I haven't seen my... I've seen my son. My son loses me in the summers. Uh, he's trying to make his, his way into the crazy hockey world. But I haven't seen my daughter uh, in a year. So it's, it's, it's been an insane year for everyone uh, that you're close to, everyone out there that's dealing with this crazy pandemic. Hopefully the, the worst is over and we're on to some normality. But, uh, you know, I, I just thought about it and I was like, oh, man, I, I saw your post. and I was like, I haven't talked to him in a while. This would be a perfect time. Um, so I'm glad, I'm glad I was able to work out for your side. Yeah, man. It's a, uh, it's a huge honor. I, I really looked up to you as, as a player, even though you played in Buffalo, I didn't get to see you play a ton. Uh, but you had a great playoff that one year and that was really when you kind of solidified yourself as one of my favorites. And, uh, you heard it in the intro. They, you were widely regarded as the best player on that team during that, that wild run. So, uh, what, what do you remember about your time in junior? I, I, before we get into stuff, how was your experience playing major junior? Well, I absolutely loved it. You know, I, I, I was I was a really talented kid when I was when I was really young. Uh, then I didn't grow. When I got to 13, 14, 15, I was like the runt of the litter. I, I, I didn't grow. When I got cut in Bano, I got cut uh, in Midget. That's why I got drafted so late uh, into the Quebec Major Junior League. And even when I went to my first training camp, I, I didn't know if I was good enough. Um, not that I didn't think I was skilled enough to play. I just didn't think I was ready even at 17 years old, to play against 18, 19, and 20-year-olds. I just didn't think I was, I was going to make that team, even though it was an expansion team. And I remember calling home to my brother and my mom and just saying, you, you probably don't want to make the five-hour drive to Quebec City. I, I don't think I'm going to make it. And my brother just said, you know, you have to stand out. You have to do something to stand out. Never told me to fight. Never told me to do anything like that. Um, but the next day I got to the rink and – I've always been a little tenacious. I've always, but I was always a skilled guy growing up. Like I was never, yeah. you know, that, that, that was my role. You, you didn't have fighting when you're in Pee Wee or Bantam and then Midget. And I just, I, I really wanted to make major junior hockey. I, I wasn't a school guy. I, I wasn't going to go off to an American college, which probably would have been the route I would have taken uh, if I didn't <laughs> make junior hockey. Uh, but I, I didn't like school. I, I was just one of those kids. And, uh, the next day I got on the bench. We had a scrimmage like you always do in, 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 in tryouts. And I just looked at one of the guys on the, on the bench and I said, who, who's the fucking toughest guy here? Who, who, who is he? And I'd never fought before in my life. And they pointed to a guy that was about 6'3", 225. I wish he would have been 5'10", 165. <laughs> um, I weighed 148 at the time, my first year junior. And I fought him. I got killed. Went to the box, came out. Fought him again, got killed, went to the box, 
And I did this uh, with the same guy three times. And I fought 13 times in the next two days. And the coach came up to me and Alan Staney, who, who I would never be speaking with you right now if it wasn't for him and, and believed in me. Uh, but said, I don't know if you're going to dress every single game, but we love your tenacity. Uh, we love how you just, your work ethic, everything that you, you, you do, and uh, you're fearless. And I, I, I played every single game that year. I didn't score a lot. I didn't get a lot of opportunity. I fought a lot. I think I pitched two fights my first year. Uh, and I only played about two-thirds of the season. Um, and then I, you know, then I grew a little bit. I got a little stronger. And my next year I had uh, 60 points or 60, whatever the number was you said. 66. Uh, I had a, had a lot of fights. Um, <laughs> and then the next year I came back from Major Junior and I I felt great. I, I, I grew a lot. I, 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 became, I was starting to become a man at 19 years old. And I, I was drafted in, in by the Buffalo Sabres and, um, I had 111 points, 448 minutes, something like that. I missed probably 10 games that year um, between suspensions and uh, like the things you did, I, I did them as well. I think the difference between the two of us is I, I never had remorse. <laughs> You're probably a better guy than I. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually, I'm just talking, well, there's a couple stories that I don't even want to talk about. There's a, there's a couple really bad things that I did when I was young, and, and I think I didn't understand um, what I was saying. Uh, I'm talking like when I'm 9 and 10, um, things that were like just beyond uh, that, just I shouldn't have said, and I knew. I just would say anything, anything at all to, to get to guys, especially if they were better than me. I, I was jealous and I'd be, I would just go at them. I'd find the worst thing out or use the worst thing against them. Uh, and that's where I got the gross misconducts. But I'm talking, when I was in junior, I never felt bad about anything that I said or did. I, 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 I didn't give, I didn't give a crap about that. Not one bit. And, uh, oh, if you're noticing why you, you feel free, free to swear on the show. It's a totally open show, but I am doing this thing where I'm really trying not to swear. So that's why I'm going to use words like crap. And, and that's just something that I'm doing because listen, I came out of jail and I had the worst mouth ever. You can imagine being in a setting like that. Uh, you think hockey dressing room is bad. You go to jail and it, it's a whole like, some guys, it's unfortunate. They don't even know how to read or write or anything, yeah. and that's all they know how to do. Um, quickly, I'll tell people that I actually helped four people graduate while I was in there, and I feel good about that. So wow. you know, I did utilize my time while I was in there, uh, Maddie. But, uh, you know, moving on, uh, you know, you ended up making it to the to the show in 92-93, and you scored. And was it your first game or second game? Because you only played two games. Yeah, second game. I got called up. We lost – uh, in our in in junior in our first round of our playoffs, I think it's six games, and you know as devastated as I was because we had a really good team. Alexander Day was our was our yeah. leader, who was a great junior player, first overall pick from the Ottawa Senators. Yeah. That you know he had a short, he had a, he had a career in the NHL, but for a first overall pick, uh, certainly, and he was a dominant junior. I was really really depressed that we lost because I loved our team and our guys and our chances. Uh, but when you when you lose a game and you get told you're going to the Buffalo Sabers, uh, you cheer up you cheer up pretty pretty quickly. So uh, I got to fight in the first game uh, against the Montreal Canadiens, Sean Hill, which Montreal was my childhood favorite yep. team. Max Naslin was my favorite player, a young uh, small Swedish player that I absolutely loved watching. And uh, the second game, I I, I got in a fight again uh, against Ryan McGill, <laughs> but I also scored uh, my first goal against Tommy Soderstrom. That's pretty cool. Do you still have the puck from that? 
Uh, I gave it to my brother. I gave it to my brother okay. that year. They, they framed it and, and put it in a little little trophy thing. So I gave that cool. uh, right to my brother. That's cool. So you obviously look up look up to him a lot. Is he he's older? Yeah, he's 14 years older. So he'd be okay. 61 now. Um, yeah, just uh, not an athlete, but loves sports, love the Canadians. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's just a hardworking, uh, true Canadian guy. Just loves hockey, watches hockey every single day. Um, and obviously helped me along the way. Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier how, you know, he was the one that told you to do something to stand out. And it's, it's interesting when you have someone like that in your life, uh, whether it be an older brother or a mentor, they can really, they can just something, uh, small like that can turn into something huge and it can change the course of your life. So, I mean, you're really lucky that you had that, um, going into the NHL. I mean, you spent time, uh, in, in Roch with the Rochester Americans before your full season in, in 94, 95. Um, what was that like for you? And, you know, taking that mentality that you had, uh, taking, on everybody obviously to go to the pro level and these guys are a lot older a lot stronger um how was that adjustment for you yeah that's that's a great point Brady. uh you know you fight a lot in junior even the big guys and and i used to call the major junior hockey league the the, the quebec league um the wild wild west you know we had uh john cordick uh nephew was it was in there we had gino ojek sandy mccarthy dean Milan. i mean we had a plethora of guys that really were really, really tough. And this is before stuff was on TV. And now you move on to, you know, you move on to the American Hockey League. And the, the, the toughest guys are in the National Hockey League that can skate. Yeah. That's the big difference. You have to be able to play hockey a little bit. In the American League, you don't have to be able to play hockey. <laughs> the the Serge Robertsges, the the Jerry Flemings, the guys six seven. I mean, literally, these guys couldn't skate from here uh, to 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 my phone that we're we're filming this on. Like that's how bad they were. Um, Link Gates, anyone that yeah. knows the name, the missing, missing link, link, the missing I mean, link. Yeah. yeah, insanity, insanity. The difference is in the NHL, you, you'll fight Stu Grimson, you'll fight Joey Kosher, Bob Probert. I mean, they're all tough. They can all kill you. They can all hurt you with one punch. The difference is in the American League, they're men. They're almost as tough, if not some are tougher. They only have one job. And I'm a kid. I'm still 20 years old. And there's no cameras. The, the, the big thing in this whole thing is, there's no cameras. I remember fighting Mario Roberge, played for Cornwall, really tough, played for Montreal Canadiens, him and Serge, uh, both played in the NHL a little bit. I'm telling you, bad hockey, like horrible <laughs> hockey players. He beat the crap out of me so bad. I'm on the way to the penalty box, and his brother Serge is on his line. I ended up fighting his brother on the way to the penalty box. Like, there's no, there, there's just no rhyme or reason. So it's just, it, that's the difference between junior and the AHL and then fighting in the NHL is you're just as a kid, and that's what people worry about if you're scouts or, or you know, with anything. How are you going to do this against men? It's one thing to do against junior, and, and junior guys are tough, really, really tough. But when you step out of that, you're, you're, you're 20 years old or 21 years old. How are you going to do when, when these guys are fighting literally for their livelihood and for their families? Yeah, and that's a, that's a great point. And it's – I've talked to a lot of guys and I mean, it's a stressful way to go. And, and, you know, did you at all 
ever have to slow down? Like, because, you know, or did, did you just always have that tenacity where it didn't matter who it was, where you were, you couldn't switch it off. Cause when you were on the ice, it was one way only. And I'm going to go. Yeah. I was always nervous. Like the day before a game, if we were going into Philadelphia and you knew you had to fight Donald Brashear, or at least there was that anticipation or Stu Grimson or Ty Gomi, whoever it may be, whatever city. So the, the nervousness, before the games and I think that's why we went out and had beers the night before and we had bottles of wine at dinner because you're almost trying to numb yourself because you know you're getting in a fight I try to equate it to people as anyone that's out there anyone that's listening a schoolyard fight when you're you're in grade nine well you look at that that damn clock all day long you you know you're getting in that schoolyard fight at three o'clock well, you're looking at that clock at nine, at 10, and it's taking, it feels like it's three days to get to three o'clock. And that's for a schoolyard fight. It's, you know, I, I've been in a couple, not many, but you don't really get hurt. People jump in and do a couple punches and you're done. Doing it in the NHL is you're fighting the toughest guy in school. <laughs> that's way <laughs> bigger than you. Oh, yeah. And you're doing it every single day. You're doing it every game that you play. The potential to do it is there. So... I couldn't turn it off when I got in the game. I had to, I, I, I always say, and my girlfriend says it, I'm the complete polar opposite away from the rink and what I am now. I'm not fighting anyone. I'm not, now I'm going to defend my friends. If, if I'm in a bar or I'm with friends and someone picks on a friend, I'm, I'm going to jail. I'm, I'm going to be locked up for the night because I'm going to stop in and I'm, I'm, I'm going to yeah. protect them. But yeah. I'm not going to ever start it. I'm never going to say anything that's just, that's not me. I like to joke. I like to have fun. I need all my friends. That's, you know, she always says like-minded people find, find each other, whatever it may be. Um, and so I, I, I didn't turn it off because that's who I was as a player and that's what made me successful. And I always said, I, 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 I play better when I get punched in the face. I play better when I'm in your face. And if yeah. I'm being quiet and you don't hate me, I'm not doing my job. <laughs> did did you always uh were you always like chirping even in junior and stuff or is that something that developed in the nhl no i i, I was i don't think i chirped as much in in junior only because i was probably the only english speaking person and they couldn't <laughs> understand a damn thing that i was saying uh but I, I was always antagonistic as a kid too you know with my brother with my friends not to that level of course but once i once i got to the nhl and i knew that things that i said to guys, whether it's Eric Lindros, whoever it may be, that I could really get under their skin, you know, and I'd, I'd, I'd go deep. I'd, I'd always look for girlfriends and, and wives and any player that got traded uh, from Philadelphia, well, I wanted to know about Rod Brindamore. I wanted to know about Eric Lindros. He got traded to us from the lease. I want to know about Ty. I want to know, I want to know every little detail that I could get under your skin. So it, it was to piss you off. It was more for you to take a penalty, for you to slash me and us get a power play, and then Pat LaFontaine or McGillney could go out and score. If I was in Pittsburgh, Mario or or Yager, um, when I was in New York, I was actually part of the power play unit, so I could go out. So uh, yeah. I, think, I think Brad Marchand does an amazing job this year. Yeah. He's probably the best to ever do it because not only does he get you to take penalties on him, but he's also the one sticking the dagger in you when he's scoring the goal as well. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm glad you brought that up because I, I was thinking about that earlier and I was going to ask you um, what you think of, of today's agitator. And I mean, he's he's yeah, he's the best in the game today. And, and you make a really great point because 
he's so dangerous um, in so many areas. And I know uh, Susan and Jason, I'm in their house, they're going to be watching. They're huge Boston Bruin fans. This is going to their heads. Harry Sinden is actually their uncle or Susan's uncle. So uh, I'm, I'm surrounded by... Uh, Boston Bruins memorabilia in front of me uh, and I came home with a Doug Gilmore jersey yesterday and she wanted to almost throw it outside if it wasn't signed by Doug Gilmore so um, but I mean Brad Marchand yeah he, he does a great job um, the game has changed quite a bit where you know he's able to get a, in my opinion anyways he's able to get away with a lot more because the role of the uh, enforcers diminished do you agree with that or yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. You know, I, I don't think, again, in today's society, what, what you yeah. said, what I said to people isn't right. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm going to plead ignorance in the yeah. fact that things that were said to me were not correct. And it's not stuff that we should, we should go on. Again, my, my son, I, I'll keep referring back to him because he's a mini me, except for he's 6'3", but he, <laughs> he, he's got a worse mouth than me. And okay. he likes to get under people's skin. Now, where he goes and where who, there's his gibbers, just like just like yours. Uh, <laughs> I got to fight with him to keep those teeth in. But he doesn't. He doesn't go anywhere near the things that we said. And it's just not accepted, and it shouldn't be accepted in today's day and age. We, we didn't know better. You know, the things that I was called, the things that were said about me. I never knew my father. The things that were said, yeah. and I'm going to respond. It's it's a defense mechanism as well. So, um, you know, it's definitely different. But Marshawn, certainly with, with his ability to play the game, um, you know, you, you just can't have any better than that is be a really, really, really talented player and have that tenacity as well. Yeah, it's there's not too many guys out there over the course of uh, ever in hockey, and, and I I tend to agree. Maybe there's nobody that's done it better because um, on a f uh, if you're looking at the overall um, you know capacity of what he does, he comes back and he's going to bury bury it on the power play on you um, or whatever, and he seems to always find that extra gear in overtime as well. He's just incredible, um, and it's to me. I said to the other night I was watching him, I, I was like, I think he's getting faster as he's getting older. He's like the one guy that's getting faster as he's getting older. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about your son later, but we could talk about that. How much, uh, you know, how much were you getting down to see him play? How much did you were you involved in his his uh, development as a hockey player? Were you able to was he able to get on the ice with you uh, while you were playing uh, at practices when you were still playing at all? Um, what's his age? How old is he exactly? Yeah, he's twenty two. He was committed to Penn State. Now he's playing in the SPHL, which is just under the the East Coast League. Uh, it's been yeah. a crazy year. We. We had hoped that he'd play in the East Coast or, or the American League this year, but um, he's not a school guy either. That's why he didn't go to Penn State. Um, so uh, he's trying to do it that way. As as for you know him and being around him, uh, he's always been. I mean, he'd go to school till noon. We would practice when I was in New York when he was five, six, seven, eight, all, all in that area. Uh, and I, I'd leave practice literally in my underwear and drive ten miles, go pick him up bring them back to the rink. I'd get my workout in, I'd get my treatment in and we had our own facility. So he would literally go on the ice and he'd be skating with mess. Mess would go out with them and, and throw pucks to him. Dale Puritan, uh, a Western league guy, real, yeah. real tough animal. Um, absolutely love the guy would go out. So he was a rink rat. He was, he was making Eric Lindros and bringing him over the helmet and dressing him up in equipment so we could take shots on him in the, in the room. So, 
he's always been a rink rat. He, he loves hockey. Uh, he's a hockey nerd. Uh, then I got to coach him, you know, till he was yeah. 16 years old and he went off and played in prep school and then obviously played, played junior and it's much different. So now I'm more of a dad. I, I, we, I still break down his film for him after every yeah. game uh, and tell him you got to listen to your coaches. Whatever they tell you to do, um, that that's what you do. I'm just going to tell you what you're doing right and what I think you can improve on because, you know, for him to get to the next level, uh, there's, there's things he has to improve on. Uh, but certainly very talented, a great mouth, uh, but loves the game. So, you know, I think anytime you can share a passion, uh, whatever it may be, uh, with your child is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, and he, he shares the same name as you as well, which is which is kind of neat, and it's really cool. I I've talked to a few guys uh, like Jake Tugnet, Tugnut, Ron Tugnut's son uh, has become a friend of mine, and he shared stories with me about being in the room. Um, you know, pretty cool stuff. I mean, that's a really um, that's something that you know kids dream of that you can see them fan out um, just watching and warm up and, and having a chance to be in the dressing room and meet all those guys on a daily basis. That's such a such a cool experience, and I'm glad that he's you know uh, still playing. And uh, the SP is actually quite a bit better than it was uh, years ago. And especially this year, because you make a really good point is because there aren't too many jobs right now um, with hockey. I mean, everything's virtually shut down in Europe. Uh, there's a few leagues playing, but it's late start and everything else. So it's not like they're handing out contracts and a lot of guys where maybe they'd be in Europe or in the A while they're playing in the coast. So everything filters down um, and there's a lot of guys that are left that are not even playing. So I'm happy to hear that he's playing um, and down he's down in Huntsville with the Havoc, right? Yeah, he is. And uh, it's funny because Matthew played in the CCHL against uh, Ron was, was the owner um, and coach. Um, his oldest uh, was committed to Sacred Heart. And I think he's at Province now. I, I, I could be yeah. I could be wrong, but I, I know he's in the NCAA. So, yeah, it's a crazy, crazy year. Like, even even in the SB, you have guys that played in the Coast last year. You have guys that signed in the A uh, that that can't get in the lineup. They're yeah. they're getting they're getting waived by SPHL teams, and um, you know the tap talent level is okay. There's some there's some there's there are some good players. Uh, but predominantly, it's it's an older league. Here's what I'll tell you: that fan base down there in Huntsville, wow, is it awesome? What a rink! And the fan base, uh, you know, even in COVID, they're getting three thousand, but they they get seven to ten thousand every night. So it's a it's a really really cool place for him, and he's well coached, which that's all you're looking for as a dad yeah. when you're when your kids trying to make that next level. Um, you know, he trains here with me in the summer with the Sens guys. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a great spot. I hope to, I hope to get down, uh, shortly. I, I haven't seen my daughter, like I said, in a year. So I got to see my daughter before I go see my son. Yeah. Well, I, I hope that you get to see them both. Uh, I know the feeling I'm actually real. I don't even talk about that much just cause I've kind of been asked not to, but just through everything that I went through, I'm, I'm disconnected with my kids. Uh, haven't seen them in, in, five years and I'm hoping to bridge that gap, but actually the Vancouver Canucks stepped up. I found out Bo Horvat uh, is my son's favorite player and JT Miller was my, uh, is my daughter's favorite player. So I know the trainer and uh, he uh, was able to send them a couple uh you know, personalized items, which, which they love. And I'm just grateful that I don't like to ever ask for anything um, ever. Uh, I know it's, I don't like to be a bother, uh, but that was pretty cool. Um, so, I mean, you know, I just, I just keep, you know, 
doing the right thing. And and hopefully, I, I think my son may listen to the podcast. So Brody, if you're listening, you know, I'm, I'm here when you're ready. Uh, they're 11 and 12 now. So they're sort of at that point where, you know, I think they're on the fence. So I just, I, I feel you. Um, a year is a long time. Uh, you know, I feel like sometimes a week is too long and I'm going on five years. So I feel you on that one. But I, I'll tell you what, living that way um, with the, you know, I would, because I was so upset that I wasn't seeing them, I would just continue in that carnage, in that wreckage uh, of life. Yeah. It was like, I have nothing to live for. And, and by, I don't know, man, just miracles, um, somehow I was able to pull myself out of it. Uh, how much, you know, I'll just ask you flat out, how much um, did you see partying affect? Not, you don't have to answer you personally, but uh, in pro hockey, um, what, like during your career, um, I know there's a lot of guys um, and before I before I let you take it away, I, I just want to mention that you played with uh, um, is it Miroslav Satan? Um, yeah. Passed away from an overdose, and no, no, I no, no not, not not Miroslav Satan. Not um, Satan. Satan's the guy you played with in Buffalo. I can't even yes. believe it. Um, but let, uh, let, 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 let me let me start right with first of all, time heals everything. Um, I had a DWI where I friggin' drove nine miles with uh, three wheels uh, because I went through a divorce. And we, like I said, we all make mistakes. Um, never touched a girl in my life, as, as uh, some records will say. My ex-wife will come back and say I never, ever touched her. I did kick her garage door, which was actually my garage door, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, still something I, I shouldn't have done. Uh, so I, 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 I've been there. I, I, I've, I've made mistakes as well. And, and you have to... You, you really can't, and, and you've done an amazing job. You can't, you can't start to heal or or get to the next stage in your life without admitting the wrong things or, or your faults. Hey, I know a lot of people that have a lot of secrets <laughs> that aren't transparent. Uh, they either haven't got caught, or they just, and, and that's just the way it is. And um, you know, I'm transparent. I, I'm human. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to make more mistakes. I try not to, uh, but I, I'm going to make mistakes. And I, I try to own and I try to tell my kids, you're going to make mistakes too. Just, just own them and, and just be a good person. Just because you make a mistake doesn't mean um, you're, you're, you're not a good person. As for the partying, I, 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 I've never done a drug was playing. Uh, I've never done hard drugs. I've only once or from leap. Um, tried like edibles or, or I've never tried weed. I've never only because not because I haven't wanted to, or I just know my personality. I know if, if when I, when I played in the NHL, we drank 24, 48 beers. I mean, we drank, I mean, drinking is, is hard core in the national hockey league. It was, it's changed. I trained Justin Bailey from the Vancouver Canucks. So if you ever need anything like Vancouver, I'm your guy. Um, he's my guy. Hopefully his MRI. He hurt last night in the game against Calgary. Hopefully his focus is okay. But, um, you know, when 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 I look at the partying in the NHL, it, it, it was it was alcohol, it was sleeping pills, and pain pills. Yeah. And you know, I I, I never took the pain pills only because my stomach would make me sick. I would take cortisone injections to get through games. And uh, from there, I, I just dealt, dealt with the pain. Uh, but I, I never really saw – the only time I really saw was Theo Fleury 
uh, when I was in New York, and he was having a tough, tough, tough time. He he was going down a, a dark, dark road. Um, and I've talked to him many times since then. Obviously, anyone that's read his book or heard his story, um, you can understand uh, why he was trying to numb the pain from from everything going on. But I'd have to say, for my part, um, you know, we we drank a lot. We drank a lot of Coors Light, uh, a lot of rum and cokes. Um, but uh, certainly, it was very prevalent part back in the day and like i said the sleeping pills was probably the main thing that i had to kick when i was when i when i retired i went cold turkey and i probably didn't sleep for about two months you know just just trying to get off it because they handed out like like candy They're, they handed out uh, they don't care about you you know they, they they care about winning the hockey game and what can you do for them and uh you provide a service and once you're done here's what i tell you i've never talked i shouldn't say i haven't talked to anyone I talked to my friends. I talked to certain coaches because I was in the media business in several different aspects. But have I ever had anyone from the NHL call me since I retired? No, because I'm I'm not a commodity. I'm not anything. I, I can't make them any more money. They're on to the next guy. Yeah, and and I'm just gonna jump in quickly. It was Merrick Fatos that that passed away. Um, yeah. So I get them mixed up. Uh, just the names are very close. But I wanted yeah. to. You know, I, I actually uh, just found out about that one today. So I've spent the last year, better part of the year, um, really digging, digging in uh, right from the NHL down. And unfortunately, there's some minor hockey players and like every piece of uh, clothing that goes out will have a name inside. So like Rippin's in this one, Rick Rippin. Um, I got Matthew Lazinski in my hat. And uh, unfortunately, we need to... Uh, to add Merrick Svatos to the to Lizzie. He passed away of an overdose and he's not the only one. And again, it was um, sleep medication and pain pills uh, from what I've read. And so it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that. And thank you for sharing that with us because, and me, because um, not everybody wants to, to, you know, be fully transparent about that. Um, just, I think a lot of guys will be very careful because they don't want, they still want to be, you know, get opportunities, whether it's a coach or a scout or in the NHL. Um, whereas I see it as, you know what, like if you're going to speak the truth um, and then be, you know, punished or ridiculed, scared, that's not right. You should be able to speak the truth and, and speak facts so that we can prevent, you know, further damage, especially for the next generations like your son um, or even, you know, guys like Chase, who's sitting in the green room right now. Um, he's a coming up player, only 15. And, you know, you, you, I have younger, younger, uh, boys and girls in, in puck support as well as warriors. And that's really the focus of what we're trying to do is just that education piece. And, you know, do you think like when you're talking sleeping pills, I know, I know alcohol is very prevalent. I mean, it's prevalent everywhere we go, but you know, I have had multiple people reach out to me uh, recently and guys that or have, you know, several years of sobriety that have recently relapsed. And if you're watching, you know who you are. I'll never out you or anything, but just know that, you know, one mistake, it doesn't mean that I always tell people this, if you're in recovery and you fall off the wagon, okay, somebody told me this, I didn't make this up, so I can't take credit, but I think it's great. And it always stood with me is if you fall off the wagon, regardless of what it is, that does not mean that you have to roll into the ditches and stay there. You get your butt up and you get back on that wagon because the sooner you do that, the better chance you have to, to keep moving forward. And from my, from what I've learned is that if I don't get honest right away, 
Um, and that's just from the past. I mean, I've gone a year without any hard drugs. I recently just stopped uh, using cannabis. And so I've taken a lot of kickback for that from different people. And people have to understand that the reason why I'm doing and, and I say if it wasn't for cannabis, I don't think I'm sitting here today. It allowed me to you get gradually off the other stuff but now i'm giving my brain a chance i just i want to i just want to feel how i feel normal and and you know i still support those that that need you know medical canvas or whatever um i don't come down on people for drinking i think i think everybody has to live their own truth and their own set of uh, rules and if you're able to function and if, at the end of the day if you're happy with yourself and with your life that's really all that matters and you're able to support your family and everything else um but you know these guys that reached out to me, you know, even we're talking beer league hockey. We have a league called beer league hockey that just goes to show you. And, you know, these guys have, have said to me that that's where they relapse because, you know, they usually they they're fine. But now they're they went out on the ice, two different people, two totally different spectrums of the world. And this is pretty much the same situation. They just finally were able to get on the ice, not with the regular team. Nobody really knows them or whatever. And, you know, there's some outside issues, COVID going on. And then after the game, somebody's like, here, man, here's a beer and in the dressing room and then crack. And then, then that just starts it. So I think, you know, alcohol has been a huge part of hockey. It's a huge part of our culture. Um, you look at different podcasts, the majority of the successful ones are sponsored by alcohol companies. Um, and, you know, I've turned down uh, some sponsorships due to that kind of stuff. I'm not doing this for money. I don't think I could even make money off it anyways. It's virtually impossible. I do this uh, more just to, to share strength and hope for people and connect with legends like yourself. But I mean, do you think alcohol is still a major problem uh, in the NHL, or do you think these guys are dialed it back now that they're 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 more educated, or are we still lacking education? Yeah, no, I I, I think it's much different. I I don't think that you can play to the level. There are guys still going out and partying. Yeah, I mean, I've done events for different teams that I that I played on, and yeah, guys are still getting after it. The, the, you know, the, you're always going to have those. You, know, you got you got young guys. Um, that are making a lot of money. I don't think alcohol is the problem anymore. I, I think it's, it's switched. I, I would think it, I think cocaine's a bigger issue for, for the NHL now because of um, just, just, just the speed of the game where, where they are and, and guys, guys have a lot more money now. And you, these guys aren't going out because of camera phones and, you know, they're, they're doing stuff in, in, in their apartments and whatever, but, um, from what I've heard from different people, I haven't seen it. I, I, I don't know it firsthand, only from what I've been told um, from very, very good sources. That's more of the, the issue right now that they deal with uh, when it's substance abuse uh, with the NHLPA and all that. I would say it's much more um, cocaine than it is alcohol right now. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that, and I, I'm I'm fairly aware of that as well. I know uh, I know of over ten active players that were in treatment over the course of the off season. That's just the ones that I know of. So for different various reasons, and I'm sure the number is quite a bit higher. I know there's uh, always guys um, going through things, and that's the thing is people um, forget. And I've, I mentioned this a lot on the podcast. I mean, like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're Sidney Crosby, Wayne, Gretz, like you're a hockey player, you're a celebrity. But when you take that equipment off, you're still just a guy that goes through. And, and let me say Wayne Gretzky and Sidney Crosby are like the epitome of like perfection. They don't have any knocks against them that I know of. So and I'll just leave it at that. But I'm saying my the, the reason why I say that is because. 
like they're still humans. Like we're still all human when, when we take that, that equipment off and people often forget that. And they just, you know, they, they're quick to judge. They don't stop to think about what really might be going on. And I'm glad you brought up Theron Fleury because he's become a friend. He was one of the first guests on my podcast and, and, and a great guy. Um, and I'm so grateful uh, for his early support and, and honestly just sharing his story because I read his book uh, a number of times. And while I remember, um, funny story, actually, I read his book while I was in rehab and another book the first time I went to rehab a number of times, but the first time I read a few books, one of them being Theo's book and another one being Rob Ray's book, uh, which you wrote the foreword for. Yeah. Yeah. Rob, Rob's a good friend. And uh, Theo's book is, is, it's funny because I'm writing a book now. I just started. Nice. A book that, yeah. So I, I've researched <laughs> uh, on, on the business side of things. And uh, he was just telling like, I, I know how successful the book is and, but I wouldn't wish success for a book uh, for everything that he had to go through uh, for that success, but very transparent, obviously in, in all of it. And uh, Rob's book was more of a benign uh, book that I wrote the forward for. So uh, no, it's, it, it's, it, it's fun. And then you'll see when, when the book does come up, I'll send you a copy and it's, it's total transparency. All my mistakes, everything that happened behind the scenes, um, all the truths, all that uh, without calling out any person that I, that I that I liked. I'm not going to bury anyone except for myself. Uh, that's the way that that I live my life. But um, certainly, it, it's 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 fun. It's almost um, you know when you when you write a book, um, you get to almost liberate yourself and and um, almost almost like a cleansing. I feel like I'm being reborn. Um, so certainly, you know, uh, my girlfriend knows all the stories. I don't have to hide anything from her. But uh, there's a lot of stories that'll be fun to read and. Also, um, you know, crazy shit that that happened um, along the journey. Well, I'm really excited to hear that you're uh, writing a book. And I was going to ask you uh, when your book's coming out, just as a joke, uh, because I think that's one that needs to be told. You're widely regarded as, you know, the number one agitator ever. I've seen so many lists. Um, and I, I mean, people look at you and remember you for that, but you were a hell of a hockey player. And, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, as a kid, you were just a skill guy that developed uh, into into this role. Um, but you did have quite a bit of success in the NHL, especially when you were in New York, which you would think that that might be the place that have has even more pressure. Did you feel that way? And did that contribute to having that success? You know what? I, I never, I never really felt the pressure part of it. I, I just played my game, and you know, I, I, I think the role that I played, it, it's not like a goal scorer, right? Like a goal scorer goes out there and he has to score, or he's really not doing anything. A defensive guy has to defend. I kind of controlled my own destiny. If I, if I was going out there and the game was quiet, uh, I, I'd go draw a penalty. If the game was quiet, I'm, I'm or we aren't playing well, I'm going to get in a fight. I can control that anytime I want. You can't, you can't control when you're going to score. You have to, first of all, have a lot of talent. Second of all, you have to be in the right position. Third, you have to be uh, fortuitous. Yeah, you have to have a little bit of luck on your side. So I was able um, to control my own destiny. Now, I had to be willing to get punched in the face. I had to be willing that maybe I break my nose. Um, so that, that, that's going to happen. That happened 12 times, but <laughs> I, 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 I controlled that. I, I didn't have to worry about really losing my job because 
first of all, there wasn't a lot of people that wanted my job. Second of all, I, I, I knew I could be successful in my job because I, I controlled my destiny. If, and if you look at the places where I was most successful, Buffalo, yep. New York, Colorado, even though it was a short period of time, there's yep. one thing that's in common with all those places. Pittsburgh, we didn't have a heavyweight when I got traded there. I fought all the heavies. Tampa, I was the heavyweight at 188 pounds. I had to fight all the heavies there. Buffalo, I had Brad May and Rob Ray. New York, I had Chris Simons, Steve McKenna, Dale Puritan. So I got to fight all the middleweights on these on these teams. When I went to Colorado, we had Steve Worrell and Jim Cummins. I could fight the middleweights in play. So it's 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 very indicative of the teams that I played on that had heavyweights. If I had played on those my whole career, I probably would have had two to three hundred more points. Only because you're not going into the game worried about fighting Bob Probert or yeah. fighting Stu Grimson. You're going in. Maybe I'm going to fight tonight. Maybe not. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. But I can play hockey. And if I decide to fight, I'm going to fight Darcy Tucker, who's very tough. But he doesn't put the fear of God into you <laughs> like the other guys. Like there's a, there's a different fear factor, right? When you're fighting a yeah. guy that's your size or fighting a guy that's 50 pounds heavier and seven inches taller or fighting Zidane O'Charles. Like that's a different, different preparation for the game. So I was very fortunate on those teams to have a, a great supporting cast that let me play my game, which was, which was very important. Yeah. And, and you mentioned like Colorado, you had nine points from what I see, nine points in three, uh, 13 games, which is, which is unreal. Um, and even Chicago, you had, you had a great season there, 28 points. Uh, but New York, uh, 14 goals, 22 assists, 36 points, and 142 pims. Like, that's that's a really uh, good year. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you must have been – were you happier um, playing anywhere? Uh, was there times and – and I know guys don't like to answer this because they feel that they're going to, you know, offend their teammate, their past teammates or anything like that. But from a – Personal standpoint, what was your, you know, your favorite place to play where you just felt like, you know what, this is this, I feel good and I like coming to the rink more than maybe I ever have. Is there a place like that that you played? Well, in? I, I think Buffalo, right? You're you're a young kid. I, I grew up poor. I grew up without a father. Um, now now I'm making money. I'm playing in, in Buffalo and people want my autograph. Like this is this is pretty cool. Uh so that that was awesome. A blue collar town that you know, just loved hard work. Um, we had really hard working team. We had tough teams. Uh, so I liked it there. I loved playing for Ted Nolan. I loved, I went from Tampa Bay where I played for Tortorella and oh, I didn't man. play. You know, I was playing two minutes a night and he's a really good coach. He, we, he just didn't think I could play in the NHL. That, uh, but I, I, I knew I could play. I knew I could have success. And then I went to New York and I, I played a ton and I played on the line with Mark Messier and then when I didn't play with him, I played with Eric Lindros. Like it, it was complete polar opposite. I went from a, a situation where, so anytime you're you're appreciated, yeah, you, you you're gonna like where you play. And then I went to Colorado, and I had Joe Sackick and Forsberg, and Timo Solani was my my roommate, and Paul Correa, and I'm scoring nine points in 13 games. So how can't you enjoy that experience, right? It was a short period of time, and because of family reasons. I didn't sign back there or I would have stayed and hopefully or probably played the rest of my career. Here. The the worst mistake I did was go to Chicago and be put in that role. Even though I had, a, what did you say, 28 points, 25, 28 points, something like that. 
uh, when I when I was with Chicago, I was cast upon that role again to be the heavyweight. And at, at that point in my career, that's not what I wanted. I loved Dallas as well. Loved the guys. Loved Dave Tippett as a coach. Um, unfortunately, I got in a couple fight, fights at the end, and and that was the end of my career. But uh, you know, uh, as for those places, absolutely loved it. And Pittsburgh was a great place as we got heavyweights. Uh, that was yeah. the key. I had to have heavyweights. Well, and it's a great point. You know what I mean? It's I don't think that's something that I would have thought of. But, I, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, in places I played, it was it was very similar, you know, when you have other guys to lean on to take care of, because um, I enjoyed fighting and people knew I'd fight anybody. But, you know, I had, you know, when I had the supporting cast, it, it made my life yeah you know, more comfortable and easier. And I could, again, focus on playing. Um, we're going to go into a couple questions. I know you're busy and stuff. I don't want to take too much of your time. But before we get into questions, um, how how was the transition into retirement for you? Because I know that can be a really challenging thing. Is that something that you t- had to take time away from hockey? Did, were you bitter because of an injury? Um, were you kind of happy it was over because you were tired? Where, where was your head at compared to maybe where you're at now with, with you know, your hockey career being over? I think it was an, it's a great, great point that you make there, Brady, because it, it can be difficult. And I've had friends that really are lost, right? You, your, your identity, since you've been a little kid, I've always been Matthew Barnaby, the hockey player. That, yeah. that's, that, that's, that's all. And I, I, I try, I, I don't like when people call me Barnaby, like just on the street or whatever, like my name's Matthew. Like, I know that's the last name on my thing, but my name's Matthew. Um, I don't identify myself as a hockey player. That's what I did for a living. That's what I played. I love it. Uh, but I, I don't like that people talk to me just because I'm a hockey player. I don't, um, I loved what I did. I loved what I did. Uh, my transition was probably a little easier than most because I got right into the media right away. I, I went to TSN and then went to ESPN. So my time was, was, was taken up. I always thought I'd go play golf every day and move to Florida. Uh, but you know, for me, my personality that that just doesn't work i i have to stay busy i I love to work i love to work now and um so you know for me it it wasn't that bad um uh you know for some guys i i know how tough it can be i i really do because it's that identity right now you're, you're going from being put on a pedestal every day and you're making lots of money and and everyone's praising you and they're the, the ovations and hearing, like you said on your on your intro, you know, who doesn't like to hear Barnaby, Barnaby, as you come on? And, um, you know, th- we'd be lying if, if anyone said they, they didn't like that part. You know, everyone likes to be appreciated. Um, so I, I guess that is the thing that you missed. But I, w- I went right into the media. I've loved that. I've loved everything that I've done. And then I got a chance to coach my kid. And be around my my kids, especially, you know, coaching him every single day, which, you know, at the end of my career, especially when I was in Dallas, I almost knew it was time because when I'm checking to see if my son scored or how their team was doing in between periods, I'm sneaking in to check my phone. uh, You've kind of checked out. Yeah, well, and you know what? That's a that's a good reason to check out, though. And uh, you're very fortunate because you know your your career path, you know, financially allows you would have allowed you to have that time. 
with your son, right? And and, and you're you know you're, I can hear you're so grateful for that. And that's you know a lot of guys don't do that. You know a lot of guys I you know I mean a lot of guys do, but there's some guys that that don't and and that get disconnected you know from their kids and go down a, a wrong path like like very much like I did. Um, so I'm glad that you utilized you know your experience, um, your time in the NHL not only while you were there but certainly after. And, and now you're able to give back to your son. And I know you coached in the O for a bit with Kitch too. And, and, you know, you're able to probably help out those young men a lot too. Um, we're going to get to a couple questions just cause I know, I know you're busy. It's, it's no Friday. rush, no, no rush at all. Whatever, whatever you need. Okay, buddy, you're the best. So we'll start from the top. I know they've been coming in, um, this whole time. Um, Adam Clem says, have a great day. I love what you're doing. That was earlier. Hello, Adam. Uh, Jason Martin says, woo, hey, Brady, looking good, bud. That was earlier when I still had my teeth in, I'm sure. <laughs> Mike says, hey, everyone, enjoy the long weekend, my friend. Stay safe. Uh, you're the man. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Congratulations on your birthday. Thank you. Um, yes, sir. Great form and great job, Brady, and all what you're doing. Thank you, Bob. Um, Adam says, hey, Maddie, Matthew. It was a pleasure hanging out and playing puck with you during the Brockville Winter Classic. Thanks for the beauty memories. So that's pretty cool. He remembers that. It was it was fun. Brockville does a great job. I, I can't remember what the what they raise money for, what the charity is for that event. Uh, that event is in Brockville. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was great. A lot of lot of great people. Uh, it was played on an outdoor uh out, outdoor facility uh, outside and then there was another one that was inside so yeah very cool great people of brockville man yeah and and i have a couple supporters in brockville excuse me i was living in morseburg for a little while um so i'm familiar with the the south dundas and and uh, that part of uh, Canada, totally different. And, and it was a really neat experience. And uh, hello to Matt Thompson at the One Stop Skate Shop. We did open a skate shop together, but some issues happened with my family. I needed to be closer to the kids. Couldn't find a house up there. I'm still not having any luck out here in Muskoka. So if anybody listening knows of any housing rentals in the Muskoka area, please let me know. Um, Cody Shepard says, Habs, fire. Um, yeah, we, you know what? I played with Carey Price on Team BC, and like I never, I tell people this, I never scored on him in practice. Not, I never scored, not when I played against him in the Western League, not in practice. I never, ever scored on him. I'm not kidding. And I shot on him a lot. Like, so what do you think about Pricer quickly? He's, he's awesome, man. Like, he held that team together. I, I'm glad that they got Jake Allen to really, especially yeah. in the year uh, that they are now. I, I don't think Jake Allen's a starter. I never did think he was, but. Man, has he been good for the Montreal Canadiens, and especially uh, for Carey Price, giving him the opportunity to rest on nights, especially on back-to-backs. And now that they play three and five with COVID, and, uh, but Carey Price is, is is one of the best. I mean, yeah, I can make an argument that he's the best uh, right now. Certainly, uh, his international play with Team Canada, um, he'll probably be the starting goalie uh, for the next Olympics, uh, but he's held that team together. Uh, when they weren't very good. And now that they have a good team in front of them, uh, it makes him even that much better and much dangerous. I mean, he's so big. He's always in position. He doesn't move a lot. and He makes the odd. I mean, you'll see the odd acrobatic save. But it, here's what I'm saying. If, you, if your goalie is making an acrobatic save every second night, he's probably out of position a lot. And you don't see Carey Price out of position very often. 
Yeah, and he ha- I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll quickly tell a story for people that um, don't know. So when I was playing in Swift Current, I was 19 at the time, and I knew uh, Kerry was an amazing puck handler and everything. But uh, the Tri-City Americans, his Western League team, they were on the ice before us, and they were playing rebound, which everybody in the hockey world, a lot of people know what that game is. Well, they had uh, Chet Picard, who also played in the World Juniors uh, as a goalie the following year or two years after as his backup. Well, Carey Price took off his chest protector, put on a pair of players' gloves, and grabbed a player stick and played rebound shooting on this other world, like, you know, one of the best goalies in the Western League. The guy went, like, seven for seven. Like, our whole team was watching him shoot going bar down everywhere. Different shot ever, just lighting the, the other goalie up, and we were just like, wow, you know? And uh, sure enough, he shut us out that night. I almost scored on first shift. I hit the post, and then after that, it was lights <laughs> out. We lost really nothing. But, um, oh, Adam Running also says, Tell Sheps he's got zero hands. His golf game is weak also. I don't know who that is, but... Right, right. Sure. Ryan Shepard lives right down the street in Orleans, Ontario. He's actually... He's a really good golfer. I've never played with him. I, I, I'm going to play with him this year. Uh, but, hey, I, I got to keep him on my good side. I just transferred all my insurance over to him, so he's saving <laughs> me money. I feel like he's uh, he, he's the he's the progressive commercial right now. There you go. He had the crying, laughing face. Maybe they're buddies. Uh, Will McIntyre says the Avery before the Avery. And listen, I took a part out of my intro where I said something similar. Um, And what I said, what people didn't hear because they took it out was the fact that Avery did it in a different way um, where he literally lost the respect of a lot of people. And and don't get me wrong. I I liked what Sean Avery did and I would love to have him on my show as well. And, and I think he did a a good job at what he did, but he lost a lot of people because he would, you know, turtle or not back up his own is whatever his actions. He just, I don't know. He just didn't, he wasn't as accountable as you. So again, yeah, I mean, you're, you're the, uh, the OG in my opinion. And, and I took it out because after, after careful consideration, I was like, you know what? That guy doesn't even belong in the same sentence as Matthew Barnaby. So um, what did you think of the PMC Matthew shrine? Isn't it? I don't know what that is. Will I'm not sure what it is. You know, Will, you have my number. Text me and let me know. David Carlson says, well said, Brady. Um, Adam also says, relapse is part of recovery. And I'll echo that. That's, uh, that's a, I mean, a great point. So anybody that's out there, if you're struggling, if you've been in recovery, if you've recently relapsed, um, one of my good friends from back home, uh, Connor, sorry for outing you, but um, he was my best friend from childhood. Um, I love you, man. You, he just... Uh, just overdosed again and we almost lost him so connor if you're watching this find the strength i'm here for you i love you man he's he's had a really rough go he was a better hockey player than i was when we were kids as well so he lost he's lost everything and he's having a really tough time and i wish i was back there to help him more but i am here for you um another good question one that i was going to ask myself from cody shepherd says why did you wear the number 36 that's funny um i i I wore nine my my whole childhood growing up I uh, went to junior. Uh, they gave me 14. I don't think I picked it. And then I just kept 14 my, my, my whole junior career. I went to Buffalo and I, I, I think 36 was just my training camp number. I, 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 really, I really wanted 14 or 9. Um, 14 uh, was going to be retired. Well, it was worn by Dave Hannon at the time. Then it was retired by one of the French Connection. And then nine was worn by a guy named Victor Gordiak that never really played, might, might've played a couple games. I played with him in Rochester. So when he didn't come back the second year and I made the team, 
um, at, at 21, they said, what, what number do you want? And I, I'd worn 36 for about, I don't know, 35 games uh, between. And they said, well, you can have number nine if that's what you want. And I, I was just ready to do it. And I was like, you know what? A lot of people had already bought my jersey with, with 36. Yes. And I was like, I'm keeping it. I said, I, you know, I, and I, I, I just went with it. It wasn't anything more, more than that. There was no particular reason. It was a training camp number. And then I just, I just stuck, stuck with it. And then I, and then it kind of wore on me and I, I liked it. And then it's funny when we get back to my son and he started playing and, you know, everyone's like, oh, why isn't he wearing 36? And I was like, I don't want him like to have to live up to dad or I want him to create his own identity and, and wear, wear his own number like that. That was totally his. So he's worn everything from eight to 89 to 91. And then it was, then it was cool. When I, when I went to Dallas, um, 36 was, was taken. So we actually just rolled dice. Uh, as a family, and uh, it came up six and a one. And, oh, six and one! I thought you were seventy-seven. Yeah, it was six and a one. So I, oh, I said I can't wear seven. Uh, and I can't remember if someone had seven, and I didn't want to wear seven. So he's like, "Why don't you wear seventy-seven? So I, I wore seventy-seven for for the last year. And when he started playing, now that we're at, he wears he likes to wear number nine. Number nine is his number now. Uh, he couldn't get it last year, but he got it this year because obviously nice. three three plus six is nine. That's pretty cool. That's a really yeah. cool story. Thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, those are the little those are the little details that I love to hear. Um, pretty cool. So uh, Will Clark uh, down there in Arizona says, "I watched you play at the HSBC Arena in Buffalo many times when I worked there." Lafontaine, Hazel, McGillney, you and Razor were all the best players ever to watch. Buffalo misses you. Um, and he also says, "Could you ever understand what the Dominator was saying to you on the ice, Dominic Hasek?" Well, first, I'm jealous uh, about being in Arizona. It's probably 85 and sunny there uh, right now. Um, so, yes, I, I'm very jealous of you. But, uh, no, no one understood a word that Dominic Hasek said. Uh, greatest goalie of all time. A, a different, different bird. Uh, but certainly, no, he said you'd uh, be in front of you. You're like, I can't see. I, I can't see. You, you really couldn't understand a word that he was saying. But, man, was he damn good. You talk about not scoring on a guy. I've never seen a goalie work as hard as he did in practice. It was uncanny. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's, and, and for anybody listening, any aspiring hockey players out there, I mean, people talk about it all the time, but that, that is the kind of attitude, especially with today's game. Um, it, if you're not, you know, working harder than like, if you think you're working hard, you better find a way to work harder because there's guys all across the world that are working probably harder than you were in that moment. And, and that is what is going to separate the, the players that get a chance versus the players that don't get a chance. And I always tell the kids that I talk to, and, and I mention it on here all the time, doesn't matter where you are, whether it's a practice, a game, I don't care. You never know who's watching. Every single time you're on the ice, even in an arena, it is, it's an audition. You might be walking through the lobby and – you, if you do something nice, if you stand out in a good way, maybe you hold the door or pick up a piece of garbage, just the little things and the right person sees it and they remember it, that you might get a, an opportunity over somebody that you wouldn't have if you would have been, you know, acting like a jackass or whatever. It's, you know, so I think it's very important, you know, working hard off the ice, but being a great person, um, 
you know, off the ice. And and I wanted to say something about you, you know, sticking with number 36. I mean, that because of the fans that bought the jersey, that just speaks volumes about, you know, how much you really care about, you know, the fans and and, and making sure, you know, I know you always took the time out um, as much as possible to do charitable stuff. And and not everyone does that. There's a lot, again, there's a lot of guys that do, but not everybody does that. And those are the things that really matter. Um, because when hockey is, when hockey is over and we're no longer playing, you know, the relationships and the opportunities that can come from it, you know, it, they're endless if you're a good person. Right. So, well, yeah, I, I think that's important and working hard. It's not, it's a necessity. You, 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 I don't care what you do. I, I it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You can't do a podcast if you don't work hard. If you don't prep and, and, and see who your guests are, what they're doing and you just try to wing it, it's not going to work. I don't care what, and I have this conversation with a lot of different people and I, you know, start to, you know, you talk to companies or you talk, like you try to motivate people, but working hard is, is, is expected. And it's easier to make, especially in, in, in the NHL, it's easier to make it as a grinder than it is yeah. a top skill guy. Those skill guys, Sidney Crosby sticks around and the top guys stick around for 20 years. The interchangeable parts are, are are guys that are coming in third, fourth line and working hard and doing anything it takes, being a scorer in junior and laying down and blocking a shot and doing anything they, to, to make the NHL. Rennie Corbet is a great example. 176 points, I think, in, in major junior. Was a fourth line grinder that blocked shots and killed penalties. Ian LaPerriere, who's an assistant yeah. coach now for uh, Philadelphia Flyers, I think he had 160 points in junior third, fourth line grinder that, that killed penalties. So it's going out of your way. And to me, opening a door, doing all that, uh, I always have a saying, don't, you you, you, you look at someone the way they, they treat someone that's a boss or has more money than them or whatever it is. Don't, don't judge them on that. Judge them on, on the guy that's, that's waiting on them at the restaurant. Judge them on the, the bellhop that's, taking their their stuff when they're walking into a hotel whatever it may be or the, or the bus boy that's you know it's just being a good human like you said and that's going to open a lot more doors and that's just the way you should be as a person anyways yeah and and i'll echo that it's it goes back to you know who are you and what are you doing when nobody's watching you know what i mean um it, it, it that's that is to me, character, um, that's where, you know, your character is really tested. A uh, couple more questions. Um, where are we here? Down the line. Uh, Lucas Hicks, my buddy there, uh, says, thank you, Matthew. I, I echo that. Thanks, man, for doing this. It's pretty awesome. Uh, Adam Running says, ha, 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 we are buds. He's talking about uh, your insurance guy. So, obviously, <laughs> they're friends. Uh, another great question that I was going to ask uh, from Richard Cunningham. How strong was the big E? Eric Lindros. Well, um, how do I put this in perspective? A bull, a bull in a china shop. I mean, he was my roommate. Um, and anytime he'd want to wrestle, it was like, I mean, I'm not a big guy, but I'm not a small guy. I'm six feet. Now I'm a little heavier. I probably should lose a little weight. That's, that's on my next, uh, next January 1st. Uh, yeah. but, uh, you know, he, He's 6'4", 6'5", 250, really couldn't even work out that much because he, he'd have to ride the bike because he just got – his arms are so big. His forearms are the size of my, my thighs. Um, he, he's literally 
the strongest man I've ever seen. Like there, it's 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 ridiculous how big and strong he is. And I used to always laugh because we played him in the playoffs a lot. And uh, a good friend of mine was Alexei Zhitnik, our, our defenseman, that would always match up against him in the playoffs. And I, I, I'd come in at, to the shower after the game, after we played them, and I'd be like, man, I don't know how you do it. And I am so, so sorry because he would just get pummeled by the Big <laughs> E and he would just keep ticking, just a, a great guy. But, uh, yeah, Big E is, is one massive, massive, massive man. Yeah, and I mean it's a it's a he's had a really successful career. I'm sorry, I was taking a, a little pic, couple pictures there. Um, he had a great he had a great career, but uh, again, big strong guy. But when we're talking about concussions and you're talking about head injuries, no, you know some people their jaws maybe different, their their brain wired different, or you just get hit the wrong way. Um, doesn't matter how big and strong you are. Uh, yeah. Before we let you go, I'm gonna bring in Chase at the end. I was I was gonna talk to him after, and I am gonna talk to him after. But he has a question for you coming up here in a couple of minutes, and then we'll we'll let you go, and I'll continue on with Chase. But what's the standpoint on concussions, uh, concussions, and fighting in today's hockey? Um, I, I've I've been a flip flopper um, on this issue. Um, you know, as somebody that had like, listen, two, I counted 212 NHL fights, and. You probably you had way more than that. I'm talking like you must have had over 300 fights, like probably 350, or including junior and and everything else. So I had Matt Cassian on the show last time, uh, enforcer in the NHL for a while. He had uh, close, he had 200 fights as well uh, between junior and pro, um, and and various other guys. Uh, what is your take on fighting in today's game of hockey? Yeah, I, I think so. Someone told me this a few years. I can't remember what event I was at. I think it was 402 fights um, total, cow. which is which is insanity now that you look back, right? Like it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, it's it's crazy that I can even um, muster the words out some of these days. But uh, you know, if someone would have told me, you know, you you're gonna get concussions. Um, you can get hurt. I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have changed. I, I did what I loved, and I I probably didn't know the risks long term. Uh, you're a naive kid, right? Like, but I would have done anything to play in the NHL, and I, and I assume those risks. I'm not a dummy to know that you get punched in the head enough, you you you, you could have some ramifications. Uh, NHL today, I, I never wanted my son to play like that. I. I, it makes me sick if I see him. If I see him fight, um, I want him to be a skill guy. I also knew where the game was going um, a, a long time ago, and how all this would transpire and play out. I, I, I'd be hypocritical if I said there's a fight and Zach Cashin's fighting uh, Good Branson like they did the other night, and say I, I turn the yep. TV off. Oh my God, you guys can't fight. No, I enjoy a good fight once in a while. I. I like the game. I, I, I miss a lot of the, the rivalries and, and the personalities of, of the era that I played in. But having a kid that plays and, and health-wise and knowing what these guys might have to deal with, I love where we are. Uh, and like I said, I, I, I like seeing the odd, odd fight. I don't like seeing the stage fights anymore, the ones that we had to do. You know, the ones that you, you knew was going to happen and you square off. And, you know, <laughs> it, it doesn't change anything in the game. Now uh, – Someone comes and runs, and I, I'm, I'm a big advocate. I always will be. When I played in Buffalo, if you run Pat LaFontaine and you hit him clean, I'm dropping my gloves and coming after you. 
Yeah. You hit Yager, you hit Messier, you hit Joe Sackick, and people say, "Oh, you can't, you, you don't, you shouldn't defend a clean check." Everyone has their opinion. My opinion is that's that's a team that that when you have someone's back, and it doesn't have to be in the just come in. It, it's a team. It, it's when you really care for people, and they're skilled guys, and they don't defend themselves, and they're going to take liberties. Well, you have to you have to answer the bell. So. Um, that'll always be for. I hope. I hope we always have fighting in the game. But I like we're at the point where the leading point uh, penalty minute guy is, you know, eighty-five penalty minutes uh, as opposed to three thirty-five that I had to put up. Okay. And the last question before uh, we shut her down with you, I'll bring Chase in for his last question. But my question for you, and again, it's a, it's a tough one because some guys don't like to answer it. But uh, two questions. The one's probably easy. Who who's the best player? Uh, that you ever played with or against that. And I mean, there's a couple you could choose from. I, I could take a guess, maybe one that wouldn't be uh, a typical answer could be your answer. And then who would you say is the toughest guy you fought or someone that you were the most, you know, intimidated by, if you don't mind answering that. Yeah. Well, the best guy, and it was only a short period of time was, was Mario Lemieux. Like just yeah. to watch him come back after not playing for, I think it was three years uh, to come and see, see what he did right away. I think, three or four points in his first game back after just just ridiculous the Yarmir Yagers um Joe Sackick is is as good as any anyone I I I played with um his release is his leadership uh just a great guy treats we talk about treating everyone um the same uh he's one of those guys just absolutely love playing for him and just uh probably because I respect him even more as a leader and as a person um love 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 Joe uh, as for fear, uh, Joey Kosher put the fear of you in there. Like when uh, there's a lot of guys I didn't want to fight. There's a lot of guys, man, I got nervous and, and was afraid the night before. Oh, yeah. Those two guys. I'll tell you a quick story before. Yeah, uh, no, we got, we got time. I'm more worried about your time. No, I'll tell you, I, my son plays at eight, so we're, we're good. We got a little bit of time. Uh, my, uh, me and Brad May went. We were, we were in Chicago the night before a game, and we had we were having a couple cocktails just over over dinner, and we we're trying to impress some people. So we, we thought it was a bright idea to say, um, you know, five hundred dollars to whoever fights Proby tomorrow. He was in Chicago at the time, and we we make the bet. We get back a little late to the hotel, whatever. We're on the ice. We're on the same line. So I go after Proby first shift. <laughs> Brad jumps like over my shoulder in the corner and grabs Proby. We all go to the, all go to the box, Proby and whoever else it was, Brad Brown, whoever. So we're sitting in the box and he's looking down at us. So we come back out. I'm like, what are you doing, Macy? Like, I'm going to fight him. And he's like, no, 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 I got him. <laughs> so like three shifts later, come back out. We're in front of the Chicago net. Mayday drops his gloves and he grabs him and I jump right in the middle and I grab Proby. <laughs> So we all we all go to the box again, and he just looks down at both of us. He goes, "I don't know what the fuck both you guys are doing, <laughs> but I'm gonna fucking kill both you." <laughs> and we just at each other, and we're like, "Let's call the bet off. Like this is stupid. Five hundred dollars." And uh, that was over. But uh, yeah, Proby, Joey Kosher, uh, start of my career. Dave Brown um, was was scary, scary tough. I remember Rob Ray. One of my first games beat the shit out of Dave Brown, 
anyone that's younger out there, Google Dave Brown and you'll see yeah. a scary human being. Well, Rob beat the feathers off him and we got to the penalty box. I was already in there for a fight. <laughs> I, I, I high-fived him and he goes, don't high-five me. I'm like, why? You just beat up Dave Brown. He goes, yeah. He goes, in five minutes, I got to fight him again. <laughs> and oh came out of the box and Dave Brown just laid a beating on him. Oh, man. <laughs> that's sometimes how it goes right you got to give the guy another shot yeah. uh pretty awesome um oh i wanted to show you i've showed this before but this is my i got the swift current broncos rookie of the year so i'm on this is my closeness to joe sackick we're in the same i show. love it i love it well that's about the only award that's the only award and i quit the western hockey league the year after this seven games in because of my mental health but i ended up going back and and it's a long story that people know, but we don't have to talk about that today. But yeah, I keep that close by. I, I hope to get Joe on the podcast one day. Actually, him, uh, myself, and a new good friend of mine, Darren McCarty, who you fought, um, is yeah, I, we were I, all born. I think of Darren McCarty every day. Every day I look in the mirror. It's the hardest I've ever been hit. He cut me open for 28 stitches. Um, that's on YouTube, a, a good one. He, he's a great guy, man. I grabbed the right and I forgot he was a lefty and he hit me with an absolute bomb. And he, when, when I was, I was leaking, um, like I said, 28 stitches, right, right, right in the middle of my, my eye. He goes, Barnes, he goes, you're leaking oil, man. He goes, stop. And I kept on throwing and he goes, no, I'm telling you like, stop. Uh, but yeah, he, he slipped me open good. So D Mac. Yeah. I look at him. I think of him every time I look in the mirror. Yeah, he's become a, a good friend of mine. I was talking to him earlier today just through text. Um, but uh, him, uh, Joe Sackick, and myself, we were all born in the same hospital. Uh, and DMAC always jokes like, you know, Sackick got all the skill and, and it just kind of went down after that. So <laughs> it's kind of funny, uh, but I would love to get Joe on the on the podcast. And actually, have a close. we're getting closer to the Colorado Avalanche alumni uh, through Kyle Quincy, who's become a new friend of mine as well. So that's cool. And um, I never put pressure on anybody, but Joe's right up there with one of the the dream guys, just being a Swift Current Bronco and being on the same trophy. And obviously, he's a one hell of a hockey player. So um, we're gonna. I'll bring in Chase real quick, and then we'll let you go get prepped up for your for your game. Chase, what's going on, buddy? Nothing much. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. So you had a question for uh, Matthew Barnaby. Yeah. So what was your favorite trip when you were in the NHL? Oh, wow. Wow. Um, how PG and how far can I go here? Yeah. No, <laughs> no limits. He's got. He's heard it all. Come on. He, I'm one of his mentors, man. Uh, all right. Yeah. I, I, I once the worst thing I, I, I ever said, I, I like I said, I, I, I usually – um, attacked, uh, attacked wives or, or girlfriends. But I was playing in Chicago one day, and a guy from the bench yelled, uh, "Barney, you're a pussy. You won't fight uh, this guy. You won't fight Dave Manson, whatever." And I just fought Dave Manson, and I, <laughs> I, I recognized, I, I recognized the, the, uh, the voice. Uh, it's a kid I played junior with, and I just so happened to have dated his wife before him. And I just kind of referred to us having sex in a very unique way. Um, <laughs> um, so Doug Gilmore actually came on the ice right after he was in Chicago at the time. And he came up and he goes, uh, Barney, is it, uh, is it, is it, is it Veronique? Oh yeah. Killer. Killer is a beauty. Uh, yeah. 
he goes, is it very neat? And I was like, oh, yeah. He goes, oh, you're awesome. What a great line. <laughs> <laughs> that's too funny yeah that, what a small it's funny how he, chase asked that question and then uh he's actually gonna help me give away this picture uh in a few minutes so it's it's funny how it's funny how things work thanks for sharing that story and i'll just say like i said a lot worse things than that and i'm sure you did too but it's a it's a great line uh because guys i mean it it'll really mess a guy up for, yeah. for sometimes, not just one game either. It'll be the next time you play him and he'll never forget it. So, um, you know, you want to, if you want to, if you want to play and you want to, you want to chirp, you better expect yeah. to get it back, man. If you, if you want, I'm going to say some nasty things and you're going to come back at me. I, I just know that's, the, that was my role and I, I knew it was going to happen. But if you were going to unleash on me, I, I'm coming back. I mean, I once, I won't say the name of the coach, but he played in the eighties and he was chirping me from the bench. And I, I never would chirp a coach. I mean, I, I, the only one that I really liked chirping was, was Ken Hitchcock because he was just way too easy. You know, I'd always go by the bench and grab, like, the turkey because he looked like a turkey. He had the little gobbler there. Um, and then he'd send guys out to fight me, and I, I'd laugh. Uh, one coach chirped me, and I knew he did a lot of cocaine in the 80s. <laughs> and I looked at his bench, and I just said, hey, Thankfully, you're not on the ice because you'd be snorting all the, the red and blue lines. We wouldn't be able to play. Um, he then sent out a tough guy after me to, 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 to come and grab me. And, and my funniest line, my favorite, favorite line um, of playing, it, it wasn't anything bad, but it was, it was, to me, it was just probably my wittiest comment. Um, and it was a guy that wasn't even a bad guy, Kenny Johnson. I don't know if you remember the name for the Islanders. Yeah. A first-rounder skilled guy. And he came by our bench and literally the faceoff was right in front of our bench outside of the blue. And I go, Kenny. And he looked over at me and it was dead quiet. And I go, he had so much acne, red acne on his face. And I looked at him, I go, Kenny, in North America, we eat the pizza. We don't sleep in it. Oh, my God. And literally, I thought the kid was going to cry, like really cry. <laughs> <laughs> he was just a young kid. He's probably past that phase now, at least. But I mean, it's listen, that's listen. A lot of stuff that people don't realize is that that's a huge part of hockey. And I love the fact Did you ever uh, before I let you go, did you ever get mic'd up for a game? Was that a thing back in the day? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't let them. I would have gotten fined way too much. I was asked all the time. It was back when ESPN had the games. And I was like, not nah, not a chance. Not not a chance. I'll I, it would cost me way too much money to get mic'd up. <laughs> Did you, do you guys get paid for that? No, no. No, it's just all volunteer, eh? Yeah. Okay, listen. Uh, Matthew, thank you, man, for doing this. Um, I... I feel very grateful to have had this opportunity watching you play very closely as a young kid. And, and listen, I had to watch closely because there was no YouTube. I had to wait for Rock'em Sock'em and, and all those videos. And thankfully, my dad, uh, being a great hockey dad, he's a scout for the Saskatoon Blades, being the great hockey uh, guy he is, we had every single hockey video not just rock'em sock'em i'm talking about the random ones that nobody has ever seen so i was able to you know see a lot of it and we watch a lot of hockey and uh, you know i really did emulate my game around you uh, after seeing you and and doing that and i pissed a lot of people off and i'm lucky i didn't get killed doing it man well cheers thank you and congratulations a year's a, a big thing and take it one day at a time and uh cheers man keep up the great work Okay. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk soon. Appreciate it. Chase. What's up, Brady? 
What's going on, buddy? Nothing much. You? Just hanging out. So we're gonna give away this picture of Doug Gilmore here in a few minutes. But you have you have something you want to talk about because we've uh, well mostly been you doing the work. But um, for people that don't know, this is Chase Driscoll, um, good friend of mine. Uh, down in Surprise, Arizona. In case you didn't know, that was a place. That's actually the city he he lives in. He, uh, I asked him one time when I first met them, and I said, "Well, where, what's the city you live in?" He's like, "Surprise." I'm like, "I don't like surprises. Like, what's the town called?" And he's like, "Surprise." And I'm like, "Okay, I don't get it." And then he's like, "The city's called Surprise." So, uh, Surprise, Arizona plays for uh, Mission. Uh, but he's been working on a couple of things, uh, has a couple of ideas that he wants to share with everybody. Uh, take it away, Chase. Yeah, so me and my friends and stuff like that are starting a podcast called Split and Twigs. Me, Wesley Moyer, we have, and we have two other kids who we're hoping to bring onto the show as well, are going to start a podcast about interviewing up-and-coming junior players with unique stories and stuff like that. And it's going to be super fun. Yeah, and I think I think it's a great place to start. There aren't a lot of, uh, you know, I would call you a youth, a young man, uh, growing into a man. There aren't a lot of kids. I'm going to call you a kid because that's what you are. I have to remind you sometimes, and, and I know your mom does and Will does as well, and your dad. And uh, but hey, and by the way, you're car shopping. You're not even 16 years old yet. So um, let's see. Yeah, I know you're going to have to come drive me around because I'm not allowed to drive yet. But hey. Um, now I've, now I've lost my train of thought, as I often do. Uh, but there aren't a lot of, um, if any, uh, podcasts, uh, interviews uh, that are done by the younger generation. And I'm really happy to support you. So is all of Puck Support. You're going to be uh, running it through the Puck Support Net Podcast Network and uh, on your own platform as well. So I think that's really exciting. And I'm going to help you um, with everything that you need help with and, and help you get guys on there but chase has a, a very strong tiktok following um and so if anybody's on tiktok he even encouraged me to get tiktok but i mean my i only have like just under two thousand followers although i did have one video that has like one hundred and twenty thousand views so i mean not not too bad but you got to teach me how to tiktok yeah what's your uh what's your tiktok handle for all those people out there that want to find you on tiktok it's Driscoll underscore Chase. Well, I knew that, but I just wanted you to say it. I'm going to put it up on the screen here in a second. And I'm glad that I know your name is Driscoll, not Dryskill, uh, because I was calling you Dryskill for the first week that I met you before. So follow Chase on uh, TikTok. Now, I haven't thought about how we're going to give away this signed Doug Gilmore picture. Have you thought about it at all? Um, I don't think we have to give it away. I think you can just give it to me and call it a day. Well, I have one for you. So lucky for you, I have one for you. Uh, but we're going to give this one away. What do you think? How do you think we should give it away? Um, I think what we do is let me see if I can get my phone hooked up. I know there's a few people watching a few, uh, a few loyal listeners out there. And if you're, if you're listening after the fact on Apple podcasts or Spotify, I thank you because that's still where I'm getting the majority of people that listen. Um, however, uh, if you want to win uh, during the live show, you're going to have to watch, you're going to have to commit uh, because I'm going to ask you, ask a, a simple question uh, right now that you would have to watch the show uh, to get the answer. And I don't know what that question is yet, but I'm going to figure it out. So where's your, 
where's your podcast going to be available? Um, you're on Podbean, and we're going to get it on to all the platforms, right? Apple Podcast. How far? How far are we away from the launch, Chase? Um, probably about a week or two. We'll get it up and running. We're just getting some finalized stuff done, and then we'll get it right up and running. We already have a couple people who were lined up for the interview, and we're getting ready to get them on the show. I'm having. I'm. Uh, I'm getting a, a little bit of help from Will um, there. He's got, he's got a good question, and that's how we're going to give it away. Um, and hopefully, I'm hoping that this is actually connected um, to, to my phone. So I'm going to put my phone number. Some people already have my phone number, but they probably have it on speed. So I'm going to put it on the screen before. I don't know how many, if anyone's even going to call. If not, we'll give, you can have two pictures, Chase. So. Um, my phone number is going to be on the screen and, and Will has a great question. And, uh, the question is this, what number did Matthew Barnaby wear in Dallas when he played for the Dallas stars? Give my, give my phone a call. Um, if you know the answer and you'll win this signed Doug Gilmore picture, let's see if anyone calls. It's a little bit delayed. So we're going to have to wait a sec. Yeah. I don't even know that one. Someone, your phone's ringing. What number did Matthew Barnaby wear when he played for the Dallas Stars? Lucas Hicks. One second. Let me get you going through here. Can you hear us? Yes, I can. How's it going, guys? Can you hear him, Chase? Yes, I can. Okay, cool. We got it working. Last time it didn't work, Lucas Hicks, new friend of mine. Um, This means, listen up. What number did Matthew Barnaby wear when he was playing for the Dallas Stars, Lucas? Dallas Stars was 36, was it not? Nope. Try again. Oh. Dallas Stars. Were you listening? Uh, hey, good thing for you. Someone else is calling, but we're friends, and I already have a picture for you, so you're getting one anyways. You're good. I just wanted to make sure I said hello and big shout out. and Okay, buddy, I'm answering this call. I will call you after the podcast. You bet. Thanks. We'll try this again. Cody Shepard. Hey, how's it going? Hey, man. What number did Matthew Barnaby wear in Dallas? Uh, number 77. You got it. Uh, <laughs> right on. Okay, buddy. Listen, send me uh, – Send you have my number there. Send me a text okay. with your address, and uh, I'll be sure to send this out first thing Monday morning. All right on, man. Hey, thank man. you. Hey, listen, thank you for uh, watching this show and uh, supporting the podcast and everything. And uh, I hope you have an awesome Friday night. You've won this signed picture by Killer, which is pretty All cool. Right, and congrats to you, man, on you for your sobriety. That's awesome. Thanks, Cody. I appreciate it. Have a great day, right. man. Right, bye-bye. Bye. Pretty cool. Congratulations to Cody Shepard. Lucas Hicks. Strikes out, but he's a friend of mine, and we actually had it set up before I went down there that I was getting him a picture anyways, so he's a winner too. I love it when everybody wins. I love it when everybody wins. I I hate to have to tell people no. Don't you, Chase? Yeah, same. Okay, we're going to wrap this up. Is there anything else you want to say? No. You you got I really like your new teeth, dude. They look spot on. Yeah, I can't talk with them in. Here, let's put them in. I'll work on it. I'll work on it. I look look different, eh? Do you have any good junior players that maybe you can
can shoot us over to interview for Splitted Twigs? Yeah, I, I got a couple on speed dial that I talked to, and uh, I don't want to out them. I don't want to out them on uh, on my podcast, but I got a couple high-end prospects that will probably help you out. I feel like I'm having more difficulty talking now that I'm on the podcast. When I'm not, I'm fine. I think it's because I'm yelling. I think I yell too much. Do I yell? No, you don't yell. Okay, <laughs> Chase. I will... Uh, I'll make sure that everybody has the information for Split and Twigs as soon as it's ready to launch. Look, I can't even talk. <laughs> we got to work on that. We got. I'm going to work on that. But thank you uh, for helping me give this um, picture away. And let me tell you, oh, one thing before I go, there's something that I need to play because... For people that don't know, uh, Chase tried to come on the show before and his internet was spotty. Um, down there in Arizona, they don't have very good internet apparently. Uh, but Chase had a really, really, really bad injury. Um, terrible leg break. And he's been pretty uh, open about you know his recovery and comeback and how challenging it's been. And I can appreciate that because I never experienced anything on that level in hockey. I blew my knee out. I broke my hand really bad, as you can see the scars and stuff from operations, which was terrible. But your leg break, you, you tell us how you broke your leg and what happened before I play this video. So I was playing in the summer league just before tryouts for my travel team. And it was right after my grandma had passed away. So I was kind of mad on the ice and tried to take it out on another kid. And so he got out of the way and I was so committed to the hit already that I thought I was just going to like hit the boards, bounce off, be fine, continue with the play. Well, my leg went into the boards funny and it kind of twisted in a weird way and snapped my fibula and fibula. Yeah, that's it. Just your, just your two bones in your leg. No big deal. Um, and Chase... Chase got back on the ice way sooner than uh, what was expected, what, um, what he was told. He worked really hard with his, uh, with his coaches um, to get back on the ice and, and made a, a video coming back. But that's not the video I want to play. I want to play because um, tell us before I play the video again. I know this is going a little while, but tell us what, what the issues have been since you've come back. Just a lot of physicality and definitely a lot of trusting myself. I don't like getting grindy as much because I'm scared that I'm going to get hurt again because I don't want to like hit and then risk myself maybe not breaking my leg because I know that probably won't happen again but getting hurt again so it's kind of always a thought in the back of my head playing but I'm starting to break out of that shell and starting to get back to playing where I used to oh Jesus There you are, getting right back to it. You crushed that kid. You crushed that kid. Your mom sent that to me this morning, and I was so proud of you, and I know she was too. So, hey, listen, uh, keep working with all those coaches down there and, and just keep your head high, man. And, listen, injuries are going to be part of hockey, um, but I can almost – I can't guarantee it. But for you to break your leg like that again, it would be a, it'd be a super freak accident. And just know that we'll continue to work together. We'll build that confidence in anything you need. I got you 100%. All right, buddy? Okay, man, I'm going to let you go, and I'll talk to you soon, all right? All right. Twigs, coming soon. Bye, Brady. Hey, I want to support Hoodie quick. That's the Trace Driscoll. Oh, yeah. Listen.
These are not available yet. This is a Chase only thing for the time being, uh, but check it out. Nice work. Okay, Chase, love you, buddy. We'll talk soon, all right? Love you too, man. I'll talk soon. Awesome. Thanks, Chase. Um, thank you, Matthew Barnaby. Uh, what a great episode. We went really long. Uh, I have an appointment, a coaching session online um, with Jason Martins and his little guy, Simon. Jason, if you're watching, give me a few minutes. I haven't had dinner yet. Um, so I look forward to uh, getting on Zoom, uh, working with Simon and uh, seeing how you guys have been doing these past couple of weeks. We appreciate your support here. Um, I know you're head to toe in puck support, much like myself. Um, I'm going to wrap it up quick here. Um, thank you. Seriously, all thank you so much. There's absolutely no words to describe how incredible this journey has been. For those that didn't know, I got a text from my lawyer. I got a text from my lawyer uh, the other day saying that my outstanding charges were dropped. So I, I didn't talk about it a lot. And the reason why is because my lawyer told me not to because it could have affected things and it could have meant me going to jail for four or five years. And if I was 100% guilty, I would have pled guilty because that's just who I am. I believe we have to own our, we have to own our stuff and face the consequences. Um, so in that particular case, I was behind the wheel of a stolen vehicle and I pled guilty to that stolen vehicle and I ended up doing close to a year in jail because of it. And during that uh, guilty plea, I was also charged at the same time with possession of the purpose of trafficking of fentanyl, cocaine, and a bunch of other hard, hard substances. There were scales in the car. I know this is getting a little graphic, but I have to tell you guys how bad the situation really was. Well, there was another guy in the car and, you know, nothing was on me. Nothing was in my pockets. Nothing. I, I mean, nothing. I had zero in my pockets. Um, and I actually, embarrassing enough, I'll tell you the story quickly. I got caught at the courthouse. Yeah, in a stolen car at the courthouse, dropping that guy off to his court date. Um, and I fell asleep uh, behind the wheel of the car and I woke up to the court constables pulling me out of the car. And what was in that car was a large amount of drugs and it could have meant me going to jail for five years. That's what they were asking for. And I, you know, I, I ended up being in jail for a year and I pled guilty to what I believed I was guilty of. And my lawyer told us, told me that we could beat it. And I met Taylor. She ended up getting me out of jail and I was able to start to rebuild my life. If she never did that, let's be clear. If Taylor never did that, if I never got out of jail, I would have been sentenced to five years. There's no question. Um, unless we would have beat it, which was a small, small chance. So if Taylor never got me out and I wasn't given the opportunity to do this and, and it took a lot, but if she never did that, there's absolutely no way that any of this is possible. And that's just the honest to God truth. So Taylor, thank you. Um, I will be in debt to you and your family forever because of that. It wasn't all smooth sailing when I got out, let's be honest. Um, but I was able to recognize that I was not happy 
going back down that road and I really wasn't happy taking Taylor down that road and the kids. There was just no way. And by the grace of God, I was able to find the strength um, to get out of that life, say goodbye to the hard drugs and to all those toxic people. And I started to rebuild my life. And why I did what I did, it had nothing to do with that. I had outstanding charges. It was clearly, because I'll be honest, when I got out, I didn't care that I had outstanding charges. I, I was fully prepared to go back to jail because I had nothing to live for. That's how I felt. Um, I felt like there was no hope. There was nothing ever good was gonna come. So that's why I got back into those those routines, the old life. And you know, I've shared the story, I'm not gonna get into it, but something happened one night when I left um, to go proceed into my life of addiction and crime and everything else. And this sensation came over me, which I believe was God. And I literally started talking to myself, questioning myself. I was two and a half, three weeks clean at the time, no money. I still have no money, um, but I was stressed. I was like, what am I gonna do? I need money, I can't be living this way. And I decided, you know, that I was gonna go try to do something in my old life. And as I went, I was walking down this clandestine road, pitch dark, and I swear, like, I just started talking. So, are you serious? You're really gonna go do this? You're really gonna go do that? Like, who are you? Like, you're not using drugs. Like, who are you? Just turn around and go home. And that's exactly what I did. I turned around and I went home. And I'll never forget, I walked through the door and Taylor was surprised because she begged me not to go. And nothing was stopping me. But I'll tell you what did stop me. I swear it was a power from above that stopped me. I turned around, I went home. The next day, the very next day, I put my skates on for the first time in eight years. I skated down the driveway at Taylor's parents' house, which was a nice driveway, like a scene out of Mystery Alaska, right on the main hoods lake. Skated for about five minutes. Of course, my skates weren't tying up, tied up. You guys know that. I came back to the house and Taylor said, I've never seen you smile like that. And I knew right then and there that I needed to do something with hockey. I needed to get back into hockey, but where the hell do I turn? Where the hell do I turn? And I emailed Mark Gagnon from the Huntsville Otters, who I later found out was a Barry police officer four months after, five, six months after, asking if I could be of service to his team in any way. Could I be of service to your team in the stands without even meeting any of the players? I will take stats. I will do whatever is needed of me. He responded the next day and said, hey, we're in playoffs, but after the season, I'd love to sit down with you. In that moment, in that moment, I knew that maybe, just maybe, I could get a chance somewhere back in hockey, but it wasn't gonna be easy and I was gonna have to start from the bottom and it was gonna take me and a lot of hard work and sharing my story, being open, being honest. And I committed to it. I didn't know what I was gonna do. And shortly after that, the podcast was born. Uh, a couple days after that email, the podcast was born because he said there was no work for me now, but I had that itch. I needed to get back in the game. I needed to get connected with hockey. And we were driving to town. I turned to Taylor and I said, I think I'm gonna start a podcast. She said, okay. And so I got in Taylor's mom's car and recorded the first episode of what was Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. It has now turned into Hockey to Hell and Back. The rest is history, guys. It's been close to a year since then, uh, since the launch of, of Hockey to Heroin. Uh, at the time, maybe I'm getting my dates wrong, but at the time of the launch, I was close to two months clean. And uh, 
it wasn't instantaneously. It it was a progression, but it was a, one of the best decisions I ever made. And I'm so grateful that all of you who have been on this journey with me have supported me through the ups and the downs. I'm very immature still. I still do things and lash out and post things and then have to take them down. And I'm like, man, I shouldn't have done that. But I am who I am and I'm learning every single day. And I just want to say thank you to every single person that's been along for the ride. And it seriously it goes back. And I'll be honest, things with Taylor are extremely stressful and tough right now. Um, I don't talk about it much, but those closest to me know. And there's a lot there, but it all goes back. If she doesn't get me out, I am not where I am today. There's just, there's no question. I would still be in there. And would I have come out and done this? Probably not. Probably not. So thank you, Tay. Thank you to her whole family. I love you guys as much as things are... Tur there's a lot of turmoil and stuff, but, you know, just continue to pray about it and uh, we'll get through it. I don't quit. I'm not a quitter these days. Last thing I'll say is Thursday mornings, 10 a.m., the Puck Support Prayer Group. Thank you to everybody that was there, run by Nathan Weeb, the chaplain of the Swift Current Broncos. We will be doing this every Thursday, 10 a.m. If you want to be involved, send us an email, team at pucksupport.com. If you want to reach Nathan, you're going to be able to do so. Nathan at pucksupport.com. I'm going to set that up for him tonight. He also has a bachelor in sports psychology. And you know Sandra Murray is available, our executive director of mental health and addiction, Sandra at Puck Support. Um, thank you to Susan for allowing me to be in your house uh, and take over your basement, your laundry room. This is Puck Support headquarters. Thank you to everyone who supported Puck Support. These are the individuals that get me out of bed every single day. Every single day, this is why I get out of bed because I don't wanna see any more names added to this list. I just, I can't do it. It's, it's too much for me and uh, too much for those families that have to deal with it. So let's rally, let's support one another we really need to end the stigma, but we need to offer support. Sometimes being an ear can save a life. And I make myself available as much as possible. Um, if you want to contact me, please do so by email, brady at pucksupport.com, and we will schedule a time. If it's a pressing matter, just call me. Just keep calling me. If you really need to talk and it's emergency, please call 911. I am not a professional. If you need immediate assistance, call 911. There's no shame in it. I spent time in the psych ward and it saved my life. Different suicide attempts, it saved my life. If you need help, you need help and there's no shame in that. There's no shame in that. Just know you're never alone. Hello to all my family. Dad, love you. Mom, love you. Auntie Lee, Uncle Laura, love you guys. Spencer, Rachel, Adam. Everybody back home, my sister, yes, Brittany, her kids, Lincoln, Kaylin, Madden, who I've never even met, just celebrated a birthday recently. I love all you guys, even Brad, my sister's man, great guy, great dad, so proud uh, of you, Brad. You're an amazing dad to my uh, nieces and nephews, uh, and for putting up with my sister, let's be honest, I don't know how you do it. Sorry, Brittany, I'm honest, I love you. 
but I'm honest. Brooklyn Brody, if you do see this, I love you. I'm here whenever you want. Whenever you're ready, I'll keep praying about it. I hope to see everybody Thursday. The next guest, Kevin Rain, former Sudbury Wolves captain, major mental health advocate, and a new personal friend of mine. On Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by Wednesday with the Sheriff, Sean McMorrow. He holds the record for most penalty minutes in a season. Uh, another close personal friend. Um, moving on from that, I have some big names to announce in the near future. Thank you for joining me. If you're struggling, if you're struggling, please reach out to someone, if not to me. I tell you again, there's no shame in it. There's no shame. And remember, remember, you know what I'm going to say. Have a great day, if you so choose.